Well, hello again. <laughs> As always, thanks for tuning in, folks. PCC Sustain Me is jazzed to have joined forces with The Bridge, Portland Community College's student newspaper. This means there will be a weekly column online for your eyeballs to enjoy with the weekly episodes. Isn't that nice? And we are super duper stoked to be working in partnership with Gypsum, the Greater Portland Sustainability Education Network as well. You can connect and access the program via gpsen.org too. Now the podcast has multiple cozy places to call home. <laughs> okay, well, back to the program we... From Portland Community College, this is PCC Sustain Me. I'm Joe Colhane, and today I'll be talking about equity and social justice with Reverend Dr. Jamie Washington and Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Boom, boom, darkness falls, headlights in the afternoon. So, in this first week of April, I attended a highly impactful equity and social justice training along with around 100 staff, faculty, and administrators of PCC. It was called Creating Inclusive, Socially Just Campus Environments and was facilitated by the Reverend Dr. Jamie Washington of Washington Consulting Group and Dr. Kathy O'Bear from the Center for Transformation and Change. I also had the pleasure and honor of sitting down with them just after the two eight-hour days of training wrapped up. Well, I'm excited now to share that talk with you all, and I encourage you to read the article about this training that can be found online on the Bridge newspaper website, www.pccbridge.com. Before I get into that great conversation I had with these two fine folks, though, I would like to start by acknowledging that this program is being recorded on the traditional village sites of the Multnomah, Kathlamit, Clackamas, Bands of the Chinook, Tualatin Kalapuya, Molala, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. Multnomah is a band of Chinooks that lived in this area. We thank the descendants of these tribes for being the original stewards and protectors of these lands since time immemorial. We also acknowledge that Portland, Oregon has the ninth largest urban Native American population in the U.S., with over 380 federally recognized tribes represented in the urban Portland metropolitan area. We also acknowledge the systemic policies of genocide, relocation, and assimilation that still impact many indigenous Native American families today. We are honored by the collective work of many Native nations, leaders, and families who are demonstrating resilience, resistance, revitalization, healing, and creativity. We are honored to be guests upon these lands. Thank you, and thanks also to our colleagues at the Portland State University Indigenous Nations Studies Program for crafting this acknowledgement. As I sit here reflecting on the changing of the seasons and see all the cherry blossoms, and I just cannot help but also observe the blooming of 
tents along the highways and underpasses that has also come with the warming temperatures. While I didn't intend for it to be part of this episode necessarily, I do want to mention that the evening after the first day of this training, I attended the Concordia Neighborhood Association meeting, the neighborhood I live in, where the guest speaker was our new city commissioner, Joanne Hardesty. She gave a passionate talk about the homeless crisis and the messy state of affairs and challenging bureaucracy she's found herself in in her first 90 days in office. She shared about the 16,000 vacant high-end units in the city, along with more than 4,000 homeless people that are here in Portland. Well, I suppose I mention this for a few reasons. One is Joanne is a featured speaker coming to PCC Cascade Campus next Monday, April 23rd, to give a talk on environmental justice, and I am hoping to get a chance to sit down with her and have her on the program. And the other, of course, is that the homeless crisis here, along with the displacement of people of color in this city, is deeply tied to so much of the social justice issues we face here in Portland and across the United States. Okay, well, it's time to jump into that conversation I had uh, and share with you the wisdom and passion that these two wonderful people were willing to pass along. Well, we just concluded two full days of creating inclusive, socially just campus environments uh, training with the Reverend Dr. Jamie Washington and Dr. Kathy Aubert. And I just have to say right off the bat, I got a lot out of this. I mean, I really, really did. And what, what was the estimate? Maybe over 100, a little over 100 um, people from across Portland Community College that came uh, from every kind of walk of life, save for maybe deans and presidents of campuses, it seems like. So that was just really cool. And this is year five, correct? Four or five? five. Four or five. It's been Somewhere a... in there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I double check, but I think it feels, feels like five. Okay. So um, four or five years, you've been here. Just a, a, a quick... Uh, maybe just thought about how it went this year compared to years past and I could just go one back back and forth okay huh? so my my experience here has always been good right so when I say good um, I have experienced um, people who come to and are willing to you know kind of lean in right so folks may not always know why this matters some folks might feel like they've been voluntold that they need to show up, um, and and so some of the initial stuff is what's natural or you know what I expect as we start, and so just getting folks in um, to the space where they can learn that this is possible in terms of having the real conversations and dialogue to look at making PCC the place that it wants to be. So for me, um, compare it to uh, other classes, it feels kind of similar. Like, you know, I think the, um, there, there were, um, in this space for me, some more people who have uh, been at this for a minute, um, and their voices matter. Yeah. Kathy, your takeaway? I thought, great, 
deepening authentic dialogue. What felt different here is that we're in a different context, that we are two and a half years in in this latest uh, White House, mm. and the cumulative impact of the racism, as well as xenophobia and just other forms of oppression, but particularly the daily racist, to have white supremacy and Nazis so mainstreamed in the media and the same messages coming out of the White House, that I think uh, particularly folks of color are showing up saying, oh no, there is no more time to take our time, urgency. And I see many more white people here as well as other places saying we want to be a part and work in partnership to create the change. And that's not to say other issues aren't important as well, but I think something is very different. If I think about the five, four or five years we've been here, this race has always been centered here. It felt particularly centered now because I think it's reflecting what we need in the U.S. and the world. Mm. Well, like I said, I, I just got a lot out of it, and I thank you both so kindly for the work you're doing. And um, maybe just so for an audience that uh, might not be familiar with the work, you uh, and I, I'm only so familiar myself, so I'm, I'm kind of learning as I ask these questions too. You've done this collectively together now for how many years? Oh, gosh. 35 we've been yeah. doing no, stuff? No, 35 yeah. Early years. 80s we started years? Oh my goodness. Okay, so 35 years, and now you're talking about something that's really interesting to me, um, is this last two and a half years with our current administration in the United States. And um, I'm just finishing up this book, uh, you know, Racism Without Racists, and um, the concept of how, you know, colorblind racism is all pervasive and at every level of, you know, our institutions and society at large, but now we have a, a president, we have, we have people who are uh, the alt-right and the neo-Nazis and, and, and these groups that are, are, are more blatant, more overt with their racism. So um, I guess it's just interesting to come back into a space like this and talk about white supremacy and talk about these things, but to um, untangle them or to, for me as a white male, <laughs> to take ownership of that. And I think that's a lot of the work here is just addressing and, and, and coming to um, that a level of awareness and I guess humbleness, uh, humility in yourself, in mean, myself, to 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 do this work, and I'm kind of just talking and thinking about how to reframe a question, really. But um, how how do you how much has your work changed in these last two years to go from where we've been to this new administration? Is there new tactics, or does it just feel like you just have to be uh, more clear with your your message, or you know the nuances of uh, it's kind of a wild, round question, but... Um. No, so, so my uh, um, answer to that is that the way that my work has changed um, has been that I have to be more prepared for um, the battle fatigue, right, um, and the weariness and the... So um, I, I would say... Um, you know, 10 years ago, certainly the work was important, the, the ways we engaged was important, the context was one that felt more supportive at a national level, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I think that as I come into rooms now, and it's similar to what Kathy named, um, those who identify as minoritized communities, particularly around race, and those um, white folks who have been in it um, as allies and accomplices, if you will, um, also feel a little worn out and hopeless. Mm. So navigating, um, I would say that in the last three or four years, the notion of self-care 
has been on programs, conference programs, our parts of our workshops and series and settings at a whole different level. And it's, uh, for me, connected to the amount of psychological and emotional labor that it takes to navigate the current state. Again, for me, um, Donald Trump didn't start it, right? Um, but he and his way of being in the world has presented the platform and space for uh, some of the, the ideas that are, quite frankly, not congruent with what we say we value as a country um, to be stated. Mm. Yeah. Your thoughts? Well, building on the brilliant Reverend Doctor, you know, five, eight, ten years ago, I and I think we were doing breadth of differences. Let's look at all differences where there's privilege and marginalization and the intersections, let's talk about that. What I've found, particularly these last four to six months, is I am needing and wanting to, and I have been as a white person, naming race more, holding whites accountable for our daily behavior. And while we've been working in the Social Justice Training Institute, to, we talk about racism twice a year. We're developing folk to be real change agents, particularly with a race lens. I'm finding I have that focus much more in every workshop I do because of, as you said, the racial battle fatigue, the impact, and if we bring it back to environmental, what I know is that when we're in a cross-race group trying to work together, even if we're all into environmental dismantling of environmental racism and for sustainability, we whites will still show up dominating mm -hmm. airtime, interrupting, thinking we're right, thinking folks of color don't have the right ideas. And so as you notice these two days, we went really minute in what are the unproductive behaviors that happen in meetings that undermine productivity. And when they're from whites to folk of color, it so destroys any chance for collaborative work to identify sustainability ideas, to work for racial justice, and dismantle environmental racism. And so I'm talking much more with whites about what do you value and let's look at our discrete behaviors when we're in a cross-race group, because we all may think we're working the same direction, but how we treat folks of color actually is undermining what we're trying to change in the world. And so there might be folks listening and say, why do we have to talk about racism? We're talking about sustainability. Well, first of all, what, 90% of the world's population are folks of color that experience racism and white supremacy? And our resources are mostly owned and by whites and managed by... So they're just at the systems level, but at this interpersonal, how we're working together. That's where I think the work today we did that could easily transfer into the work that you're doing with folks in your classroom as well as out in the communities. Well, well put, uh, both of you. And just um, moving forward, I, I, I can't help personally but feel the immediacy of both the environmental issues that we're facing collectively, the climate catastrophe that's just unraveling daily, um, combined with the social unjust society that is the United States that has been built on this foundation of, of white supremacy, of capitalist, you know, culture, of patriarchal, settler, colonial, you know, um, narratives, this mythology that's just like, you know all-pervasive practically um, are you moving forward I mean you both have such a great style and the way you work together is really you know complimentary so it's just it's, it's already a really good thing but are you considering ramping it up at all or have you been um, 
I had asked you yesterday if you, how many people you work with, but um, are you considering, you know, kind of raising your forces up a little bit and calling in more, you know, um, people to, to consult and, and conduct uh, efforts? Or if you have, a, have you transitioned your plan in any significant ways recently? Well, the, um, you know, I, I appreciate that. So part of what we are navigating um, and in the active process with the Social Justice Training Institute, part of what um, I know that Dr. O'Bear's work around um, the way she's, even in the world today, and certainly she can speak for that herself, but it's how we prepare the next generation, right? And so um, how we are showing up as um, folks who have a sense of what some of this might take to be in it for the long haul, um, and how we do that with, a, with an eye to a core value of do no harm, um, and, and honoring humanity. So we feel very committed to uh, preparing a group of folks, we're preparing uh, a community that understands the value of all of us as humanity. And so some of that looks like um, the next generation of us, like who will be taking the place, going to the PCCs and you know, so the other other trainers, you know, the next generation of thinkers and policy makers and changers, um, and um, so it really is important to us to uh, pass the baton, mm. right? And so one of the things that uh, I know that I spend a good bit of my energy in is honoring the legacies and the shoulders that I stand on, because I didn't get here on my own. The wisdom that I might show up in this room in is about all of the people who came before me. It is about specific people and um, Equity Institute and Elsie White Cross and Associates, um, uh, the UMass program, uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, those folks who walked with me as a young person learning this stuff. And so I don't take the, in addition to my grandmother, right? <laughs> yes. Right? Um, and my mom and dad who um, grounded me uh, around this and reminded me of the importance of humility um, and responsibility, right? So I feel a great deal of responsibility to be able to work with the next generation of brilliance. So that's the other thing that I hold, that the wisdom is not simply in my generation. So mine is not about telling them the only way or the one right way and not hearing voices for folks who are uh, coming behind us and learning from them as well as we prepare to continue the work. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> totally agree. Uh, and I just want to build on that younger people today, and what I mean by that is I'm in my 60s, so teens and 20s, when they're in workshops, Again, not all, but there are so many that for now, at least four or five years, have been organizing on campuses and in the community. I have Ferguson as a major national moment of um, resistance and organizing that, and just in these last couple of weeks, the folks around the world marching for climate justice. Um, that young woman from Sweden, mm -hmm. Greta Thunberg, yes. is the person I see centered and helping you know, start. But I don't, again, I don't know who's come before, but to see hundreds of thousands of youth, you see Black Lives Matters, you see all kinds of other ways of youth speaking truth to power in different ways than at least in these workshops we do, because we're trying to meet people where they are and help them learn and grow. 
But these youth that are demanding change now because they see their future, literally their lives are on the line. As, so I'm learning with them, and I think um, my urgency, these, especially these last four to six months, is because of youth that have held me accountable. Mm. And so I join you is that the wisdom is everywhere, and what, what legacy I want to leave of here's the best I know to create change individually, collectively, systemically, and have that just be one way. And so I have lots of webinars out there. I know, Jamie, you do lots of mentoring. We're going to start doing some more podcasting. Um, I've got some books, and I know you've got some books and articles. So we're working to leave behind what's been given to us, add our special sauce and special spices, and knowing that millions of others, almost billions of others, are also doing this work in different ways. We are just one of many. That's wonderful, and I would like to be respectful of your time. It's been about 15 minutes here. Um, so, uh, and we've been here eight hours, and I know you two have been at it for a long while. So maybe if you just had one last um, parting thought that you might want to share with folks who listen in about this work, anything that's coming up for you right now or anything, I just really appreciate you both again. I just want to say that, so thank you for your time. And, uh, so thank you, and uh, thank you so much for creating this opportunity because it, it is important to share in all the ways that we can get the message out. Um, for me, what I tend to remind people of is that you have to care about this stuff. You have to care about your fellow human being. It has to not be okay with you that um, your sibling um, doesn't have. It's harder to care when you're so worried about oneself, though, right? And so when you're struggling to survive, it's not always what might look like not caring is sometimes survival, mm. right? Um, and so when I'm in pain, I can't really hear about yours, mm. right? And so, so the, the space to really... Um, listen and hear and care about all of us is important to create so that we can then hear and care about others. Um, and so my best work has been as I've allowed myself the space to heal, to be heard, to be listened to and respected so that then I could do that with others. Um, and um, been in spaces where I've felt that but known that that's important in order for me to do that for other people. So um, I just invite people to pay attention to themselves and know that they're of value getting communities where they can be taken care of and listened to and heard so that they can create communities like that for other people. Mm -hmm. right? um, and then together we can work to dismantle these systems that um, are bigger than all of us but all of us can have an impact on uh, making it better. Fantastic. Thank you. My uh, knowledge of social movements and change may be limited, but I do believe that everyone has been started by folks and sustained by folks that are often the target of that oppression. Mm -hmm. And I have a computer bag that's probably 30 pounds that I drag everywhere. And if disability rights folks, folks with disabilities, had not organized at such great personal and collective costs to change systems, I would not have access to the change systems, you know, mm. the structures that I can get around. Mm -hmm. So that's just one example of how someone like me in a privileged group has benefited off the labor 
and personal cost of folks in marginalized. In the same way as a white person, my life is so richer and different because folks of color, indigenous folks, have been working to dismantle racism. Here's my call to action. People in our privileged identities can no longer sit back. Yeah. Don't come in, take over, don't come in on the white horse. But how do we, we have to show up in partnership and working with the leadership, following leadership of folks in marginalized identities collectively. We don't have the time in this world to wait anymore. The urgency is beyond screaming at us. And we have sat back for centuries and in my lifetime for six decades. And so what can you do as you're listening to think about your own privilege and how can you learn more, get involved, as well as get your peers and colleagues to care and get involved, to be a part of dismantling and then creating the world that we say we're about. Mm. And as you both said, take a deep breath. <sighs> oh, thank you so much, both of you. That was really great. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really feel fortunate to have had this opportunity to talk with Dr. Kathy O'Bear and the Reverend Dr. Jamie Washington. This training has had nearly a thousand PCC employees receive the wisdom and illumination from these two over the past five years, and that is certainly a step uh, being taken in the right direction for this particular institution. Please do check out their work at www.drkathyobear.com and www.washingtonconsultinggroup.net for links to their books and resources on these important subjects. The time is now, folks. And I wanted to add one quote from the training from the Reverend Doctor, which struck me personally, and Dr. O'Bear just touched on it in her closing thoughts as well. It is, if you're not willing to own your groupness, you are most likely to show up as your groupness. And of course, if you're white, well, that groupness includes a lot that needs drastic changing right now for us to reach an equitable and socially just reality. A big thanks to both Kathy and Jamie for sharing some time with me and for the work they do. I also give thanks to my darling wife, Rachel Robinson, for the intro and outro music. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by me, Joe Calhane, and I thank you kindly for tuning in, folks. It is high time we embrace the assets that all of us humans have and celebrate our diversity in collaborative, mindful ways. And, of course, it is super crucial to do what we can to just embrace each other and love them all, every last one we meet. <laughs>